This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Today, we're talking to Lynn Rogers. Lynn is an ambassador here at Athletic Brewing, and she's going to tell us a story about how basically one day her entire life was flipped on its head. Uh, She woke up was training for an Ironman, uh, going to work, and just sensed some tingling in her hands. And, you know, chalked it up to maybe just training fatigue or something like that, something that would pass. And she got very uh, immediate attention with this, uh, medical attention, as you'll see, because she worked in recovery, she worked at a university, and so she had a lot of resources at hand, and she still, you know, was, was thinking, you know, it's just probably something small. Well, it turned out to be... Uh, and a life-altering diagnosis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, is a rare disorder in which the body's immune system attacks the nerves, leading to weakness and sometimes uh, paralysis. And what you're going to hear is how the next couple months in a hospital, uh, making progress and then relapsing constantly over and over and over to this day, has changed her life. But it hasn't prevented her from pursuing some amazing goals and doing incredible things. So, you know, we, we were very inspired by Lynn's story at a recent Ironman triathlon in Barcelona, Spain, uh, which happened back in October. Lynn was on the team and just talks about the experience of training and, and working through this issue with such a positive attitude and how life throws us some unbelievable curveballs uh, and how you're able to not just thrive through it, but be a better person through it. Very inspired by Lynn in this story, and I hope you are too. You know, I know we're getting ready uh, for a, a big new year. I know a lot of us are getting ready to make some big changes next year. And sometimes those changes are choices. Sometimes they're not. But what you can control, you can control your attitude, as you'll hear from Lynn. Lynn is maybe the most positive person I've ever talked to, and that has no doubt been critical in getting through this the way she has, and it'll be critical for you for getting through whatever you're going through. So let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, you heard uh, about Lynn in the intro, but I wanted to welcome Lynn Rogers onto the show. Welcome. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much, Mason. It's really a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. No, you, you've been an ambassador for a couple of years now? Yeah, a couple of years. A couple oh, years. that's awesome. And, and where's home for you? Where are you coming from? I'm coming from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I'm right downtown, so I'm in an area in the neighborhood that we call Lakeview, which is basically Wrigleyville. Um, Wrigleyville is about a half mile from my front door, so oh, good no place kidding. to be. No kidding. Yeah. Do you frequent there much, or is it kind of like, oh, it's just, it's there? I'm not a part of it. Though, Mind you, um, a little harder when they go wholesale on the whole team and you don't know who's playing anymore. Like we have <laughs> the last, you know, end of the season. But I mean, there's no denying that it's a great area. And, you know, before their success in 2016, it was definitely you still it's still an amazing place to go and take in a game and history. And it's just a, a, a really fun thing to do spring, summer, fall. Um, but yeah, we got a little spoiled. So oh, that's awesome <laughs> I, I have not been in the last year, but I'll be back again. All right. Well, you know, it's 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 been there a while. 
just a wee bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Thankfully. <laughs> That's so cool. So d did you grow up in that area? Are you from Chicago area? No. Yes and no. Um, I was, my family are all Chicagoans, but Southside. So um, mostly Sox fans, except for my mother, who was like that one house on the South side that everyone's a Cub fan and, you know, got, got infinite um, grief from their neighbors. All of our extended family is here. So it was a, a roundabout journey back, but Cincinnati is still home as well. Oh, wow. So, so I know you have a PhD in biomedical engineering. What yeah. in the world, what is that about? And well, also, is that, that? is that what you do now? Cause I, I figure at the PhD level, you can't say, well, this is what my degree's in, but I don't work in that field. Oh, but, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. People, people switch around all the time. Um, you know, my circumstance, which we're going to go into a little bit more, um, has made it so that I've had to transition out of what my career had been for a long time. So I am a biomedical engineer by training. I had worked in the rehabilitation space. So I had studied stroke recovery and specifically um, walking after stroke, how people regain the ability to walk. And I'd actually used biking as a way to study walking. Um, and also a way to, you know, introduce those leg movements and um, recovery earlier than you're able to walk. And for anyone that's been through recovery, you know, you don't have to hold your whole body way up to be on a bike. And there's so many different versions anymore that recumbents, for example, that make it easier. So you're just using your legs. Um, but I had used that kind of cyclic, repetitive uh, bike or leg movement that is biking to study the, um, the patterns within walking and how those patterns change after stroke. And then hopefully, you know, we try to learn more so that we can understand how to help people fix those following stroke. So that had been my, my area for a long time. I'd also worked with people who had um, brain injury, had spinal cord injury. And then in 2019, late 2019, um, I had moved out of that field. I just couldn't run a lab anymore. And um, I was a neuroscience professor at Northwestern and running a lab at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab the former Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. Um, now I try to use um, the science knowledge that I have to, um, to work on a, a few different things. So currently I'm uh, vice president of research at HSPG Warriors, which is a non-for-profit that I can tell you a little bit about later because it's connected to my overall story. So it's just been, but biomedical engineering is a lot of different things. My, my world, it was recovery and I managed to to pull biking in there as well. Um, but it can be, it can be a million different things. It just depends on how you're targeted. Yeah. Recovery. It, 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 tell yeah. me if not, that seems, uh, coincidental or ironic yeah. with what you were getting ready to face. Totally. totally. And it became more and more so as things went, as things went crazy in my life, those people, those connections, that knowledge, um, and sometimes the lack of, um, was, was, was key and was amazing to have all of that in my life um, when when everything was happening to me and not just the patients that I work with. My timeline's right. This was about five and a half years ago. You are right. Tell us what what did you notice? What began to happen? How how did this unfold and and change your life? So um, my my background is as an athlete as well as as a scientist. Um, I had done marathoning for a long time. I'd found that as a graduate student, like many people, I'd found it as a way to you know lose the ten pounds that had crept onto my person. Um, but eventually found that that wasn't good enough. You know that's not a, enough of a motivator to stay at it. Um, found friends to run with. Found found different things. Got got excited about you know trying to find 
what my own personal best was in terms of speed and, and different things. And so I'd stayed athletic. I'd been a gymnast growing up and then found, found running. Um, when, when the high school area things were no longer, you know, there wasn't going to be breakout gymnastics meets anywhere around me. So needed to find a new sport. Um, but that had turned into, I did a ton of biking when I was doing my master's degree workout in Madison, Wisconsin, which is one of the great places to bike in the Midwest for sure. Um, and so had biking, still use biking back and forth to either, you know, when I met the lab classes and then finally work every day, I kind of lived on my bike, um, had been primarily a runner, but had branched into triathlon. Uh, a handful of years, I think in 2012. Um, so a handful of years before 2017, which is where things went 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 kerfluey on me. I was 10 days out from competing in Ironman Canada. So I was going up to Whistler, um, was super excited about it, had made it all the way through, you know, the Ironman training training plan. This was my going to be my second Ironman. Um, I had done Ironman Wisconsin a couple years before that. And one day, um, I got into work and, you know, work, whatever, went to wash my hands in the bathroom and realized that I couldn't feel the water in the same way I normally do. It just felt weird. Um, my fingers, I realized, were like a little tingly and they were a little numb and it was a little odd. Um, like you had mentioned, you know, with the background that I have and the people that I work with, I was immediately able to walk into my coworkers and be like, uh, what's happening? Does anyone have any thoughts? You know, and we were able to kind of talk it through. No one had a definitive. The fact that it was both hands um, makes, makes it not, you know, a pinched nerve or something like that, which would typically only go to one side, but I was aware. Um, and the you next were concerned day, from that, like day from one. Day one. That moment, it wasn't yes. one of those things that crept up over weeks or months, some, you know, that people just ignore, like, I'll be fine. It didn't, although I did a little bit of, oh, I'll be fine in the coming couple of weeks, which was just mm -hmm. partially, probably not, not wanting to believe what was happening, but partially also was going into see specialist after specialist, spending time in the hospital and nobody having any answers. Um, so what would eventually happen here is like my legs would go numb. The next day, my legs had the same, my, well, I should say my feet, my toes were the doing the same numb tingling thing. And then the day after that, it was my tongue. And I think it was my, my world of studying the brain that my tongue is in my head and that one freaked me out. You know, I've spent a, a career looking at what happens when people have different problems of their, their neurology in their brain. And it's not a good thing, you know, <laughs> shocker, right? Like brain goes bad, not good. So I, at that point reached out and, you know, tried to see my primary physician. She wasn't in someone in her practice saw me, which was wonderful. They wanted me to see a neurologist, a specialist, but by this point it's coming on like Friday afternoon, which would also be a theme in my life. Um, and so no one's available. And then he told me to go to the ER. This is one of those moments where being, you know, a professor in the Northwestern system, I go to Northwestern hospital. It's where I'm covered. Um, I think that helped me out because the stories that happen so often with people um, who have symptoms like mine is that it can be a lot of things. In many cases, it's diabetes. Um, you can have numbness, you can have tingling, you can have a lot of the same neurosensory um, symptoms from many different things. And diabetes is probably by and large the, the most common. And so living an active lifestyle, not being someone who's overweight, in fact, being someone who was ridiculously fit in that moment, or at least as fit as I was going to be all year, um, lent to my favor, as well as I think, you know, having a, a, a connection with Northwestern. Um, I feel like I was probably taken more seriously than unfortunately a lot of people are. Um, and they, it, they, 
admitted me that day. I would spend the weekend in the hospital. Um, we joked that it was the most aggressive taper ever for an Ironman. <laughs> they had me on an IV. I was like, great. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so at this point, you're like, I'm going to be ready for Ironman. This is. Oh, yeah. I'm like, this is something stupid. Like, we're going to figure it out. Um, and then, you know, I'm saving me for myself. I'm not going to do any dumb big workouts. I, in fact, am getting more fluid than I probably normally drink. This will be fine. Um, they kept me there because specific tests that they wanted to do on Monday couldn't be done through the weekend. But when I had those tests done, it's looking at how fast the nerves can conduct signals. And if your nerves are being attacked, if they're being broken down, if the insulation that covers the nerve, you can kind of think of, you know, any electrical cord, right, with its plastic on the outside. Those are cells that can be attacked and can affect how nerves um, send signals. If any of that is, is a problem or part of what my symptoms were, those the time it takes to send signals should be slowing down and what we saw at that point was that basically everything was borderline there were some things in my hands that were slow but because i've spent so much time biking i too understood that you know i could have a little carpal tunnel or a little something like how many times have any of us as cyclists been on the bike and your hands start to go now right you you're pressing on a nerve you're doing whatever like there could be other things that were going on. So I understood where they were coming from and saying, you know, yeah, these, these are a little slow and this is a borderline, but everything else looks fine. We think you're fine. Um, they sent me home and I did what any normal Ironman psycho would do and got right back on my bike, you know, a trainer in my, in my house. And it felt somewhat okay. It felt a little discoordinated. I just did a short workout, but when I tried to do a short brick and jump out and go running, I knew I couldn't run. I just knew I felt really discoordinated and I just knew that if I was going to try to take a running step, I was going to land on my face. Um, super scary. So thus began another next day, go to work, talk to colleagues. They look at things. Now we start looking at things that like, if I stand with my eyes closed, I fall over. If I try to take walking step, like if I try to pass a DUI test, I would fail miserably with my eyes closed. Um, but more tests, they did a spinal tap at the hospital. And once again, I was borderline. They're looking for seeing if there's signs of protein in your spinal uh, fluid, if you would have something that's called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is what they were starting to think this might look like. Um, but that, once again, was exactly the top number of normal. And everybody was, it, I literally had a doctor say to me, there is nothing neurologically wrong with you. Um, he prescribed like cervical traction, thinking that maybe I needed to stretch my neck. That was it. So overly optimistic, I uh, got on a plane and flew to Canada and it became obvious in the next few days of trying to set myself up for the race that it just wasn't going to happen. When I eventually tried to do a practice swim and couldn't even do that, it was over. Um, cheered on my friends who were, who were racing, but then by that night, the symptoms were kind of climbing up my arms and climbing up my legs. And I knew I was in very bad shape. And so we consulted a doctor in Whistler who told me to go to the airport. And if by the time I get to the airport, I'm having trouble breathing, go to the hospital instead. But that was okay. Made it on the plane, overnight plane and uh, checked into Northwestern hospital. And I would be there for the next three and a half, four months. It was a wild ride. So they, they diagnosed Guillain-Barre syndrome. By the time I got to the hospital, by the end of the day, of, the of I took my last walking steps trying to get to a, a wheelchair and I would be paralyzed from my chest down. Um, so couldn't move my legs at all in any way. Um, hands, arms were all very weak and kind of very uncoordinated. 
um, they diagnose Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a one-time attack to, it's an autoimmune attack. So your body mistakes that, that insulation on your nerves. And in this case, it's the nerves that go um, outward from the spinal cord. So the ones that send the information back and forth from your fingers, your toes, your periphery back to the spinal cord and back to the brain or out to send them signals and tell them what to do. Those nerves, um, the insulation on those nerves is being eaten um, by your own immune system. It's attacking. It thinks that it's an invader. And the more damage it does, the slower um, inflammation passes or it eventually can't pass it at all, which was going on um, in my legs and you can't move at all. And in many cases you can't feel anything at all or at least you can't feel the things you're supposed to. Um, so that was crazy. That was crazy. You know, this is happening to you. What yeah. are you thinking? Like what is going through your head with some of the initial thoughts and then as it began to set in and you were there at the hospital, you said for months, what, Yeah. how are you doing? Like, you know, I, I like what was some of these immediate concerns or, you know, just tell us what, 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 what it felt sure. like going through it? Well, I was, my naivety in this situation, and I know that sounds crazy as a, neuro, as a neuroscientist, but it, it would help me in that I worked with the central nervous system, right? I was, I was expert in the brain. But what I had never studied were diseases of the peripheral nervous system. And so I had had, I would look back at it um, in some of my textbooks later. And there was like two paragraphs in, you know, one textbook where I had been familiarized with Guillain-Barre syndrome. But anyway, at that point, what I was being told is that, you know, most people recover. That's the first thing they tell you with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Most people recover. Now, what does recover mean? Ah, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've, that I've been studying, right, for 20 years was what does recovery look like? And I know full well that my version, which involved Ironman racing and crossfitting and skiing and all those things, is not the bar for recovery. Like, they're looking, can you walk, you know, can you stand again? Um, but I took a lot of positivity from that idea that most people recover. While I was in that space, my family and particularly my sister and my partner, Tony, were, you know, doing what I think anyone would do, which is Googling like crazy people. And they were seeing a much dimmer picture online. Um, so they, but they kept that to themselves, which I love them for. So in my head was, you know, most people recover. And I think there is something really valuable about the fact that I had been in a world where... My lab is inside a rehabilitation center. And while that means I see people at their worst and with some really awful um, debilitating illnesses, I also see how far people can go. I've seen a lot of stories of people, you know, start day by day, work, do the work, get themselves on a huge path of recovery. And I think the other piece of it for me was that I had become very familiar through a uh, graduate student at one time boyfriend who was a double amputee and also um, a member of the gold medal winning um, sled hockey team in, in Salt Lake City. And so, and there's other things around. We see a lot of people that are training for um, the Chicago Marathon and are doing so on hand bikes or are doing so in the wheelchair. And I felt like being surrounded by all that people can do was really helpful to me. I never had in my head that if there was, if I wasn't gonna get to a recovery level that I wanted, that I still wouldn't be able to do things. You know, I watched the Paralympics, I saw the range and I would recommend that to anyone, like have that in your head. 
um, you don't know what's coming in life, right? And so know that not being able to do the same things you're used to in the same way doesn't mean that you're not going to get there. And so I wasn't overtly thinking of those things, but when I've reflected back on it, I was, I was in a positive mental state pretty much the whole time. And I don't know why, but the phrase, this is what we're doing now was in my head and stayed in my head throughout. Like this is, this is it. Okay. Like no point in looking backwards. Like you can't help it. And I do it too, but this, whatever this is, this is what we're doing now. This is what we're going to be trying to defeating. This is reality. And so I think having those positive things in my background probably made that possible instead of feeling like, you know, oh my God, my life is over, which I fully understand when people kind of end up in that headspace. I'm blown away that that wasn't where you spent your time. I I mean, I'd like to think that I'd stay positive, but I I don't know. You don't know until, you know, you go through it. And again, I've been around people that have been in both states, right? And I'm seeing that the depressive state the, I can't do anything anymore. Everything is terrible. It's nowhere. I've witnessed it, you know, in our, in, in some people. And so I just, again, I wasn't thinking about it necessarily on a conscious level, but I think I just knew that there was no, it's not going to help anything to just decide that you're not going to get better. It's not going to help, right? The only thing you can do is do everything you can you know, and I've seen what hard work, hard work looks like in our patients. I've also seen the research that's come out of a variety of areas in neuro rehab, which has shown over and over that hard work is what's needed, that pushing, you have to do a lot to see recovery. It's not just, you know, a little session three days a week and everybody's afraid that it's going to make you worse. It doesn't make you worse. And there's some there's some arguments back and forth in the Guillain-Barre space that, that are worth looking at, but specific to stroke, specific to heart attack, you know, areas of cardiovascular disease where you would think that you want to be terrified of pushing someone really hard. And the reality is to get better, you have to. And so I knew those things and that's helpful, right? That's helpful to, to know that. And it also aligns with my world, right? As a CrossFitter, as an Ironman, like, the working hard thing is something that we kind of believe in. So <laughs> it was helpful that knowing that research applies, you just have to scale it to wherever you are. You start from where you are. If that isn't a common athletic, you know, from the beginning of every season, from where I am right this moment, looking at my next season, I start from where I am. And that's what you have to do. And so it was familiar in a really messed up weird way. And you're tough. I know that you did your first Wisconsin or your first Ironman in Wisconsin with a broken foot in a almost broken rear derailleur. So yeah, toughness is uh, a part of you. Sometimes it's kind of, I want people to understand that I didn't step up to the start line with the broken foot. That would have been hopefully it depends. It depends. I say that and I've done a, I've done a marathon on, on what was a cracked toe, but the level of pain matters. And it wasn't like, I've had, I've had broken bones that you like, you blow on it and you feel like you're going to die. So it all depends on the nature of the injury. Right. Um, I broke my foot coming out of T2. It was ridiculous. The only thing I did on two solid legs all day was swim. So I got on the bike and then I got 12 miles into the bike. And as you say, um, discovered that I was not like shifting was a disaster. And what would eventually happen is we would discover that, I mean, after the race, that my rear derailleur cable had snapped. But in the moment, I'm just like, what is happening? And honestly, that whole thing and trying to ride what is a very 
crazy, insane up and down, super fun Wisconsin course on two gears. That kept my mind off my foot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That was a total problem solving situation. That's the old break your hand so you don't think about your broken nose. Exactly right. It was just uh, breaking right. So you you know, you you don't you don't know what's going on with your foot. And we just took it bit by bit, you know? Like I saw a um Oh, I saw someone, I saw one of the people on the medical staff, you know, in T2, um, saying, because I didn't, I didn't want to ruin the rest of my life. You know, I didn't want to create yeah. a, a problem in my leg that I wouldn't ever be able to do another race again. That wouldn't be worth it. Um, but there's only so much they can do. But at some point he was like, well, you know, first it was, and I, I appreciated this question. Like, what number Ironman is this for you? And I said, trying to be one. <laughs> And he looked at the clock and he was like, well, you know, you have however many hours I had left. And, and thankfully the bike actually went about as well as I could have expected it to. So I was more or less in line with where I thought I would be time-wise at that point, which was cuckoo. And I had something like seven and a half hours left to do the marathon. And that's what he said. He's like, well, you've got X amount of time. Um, you know, you can walk it if you can. It's up to you how much pain can you take basically? And so I just went out to see like, how does it feel? And I could limp on it. And then I eventually discovered that limping walking didn't hurt any more than like a jog. As long as I wasn't going uphill or downhill, that put too much pressure, whatever. So you just, you feel it out. But had I gotten four steps and I couldn't do it, well, then you lay down and you're done, you know? So you just, I just felt it out as I went. And thankfully, um, was able to, to get through the day and actually was one, like I had a blast that race is one of those like brilliant fabulous days in my life moments for sure despite all the things yeah what, what a fabulous day broken oh foot, it's a, it's a phenomenal day just... it's a phenomenal day imagine if yeah. imagine when things don't go wrong i can't i can't imagine how you would describe that kind of day just oh my god right you know, i don't know if that exists as an ironman quite honest with you i kind of just have it in my head that something's gonna happen I, mean, I remember being, I was out on the, out on the run course and I'm, you know, doing my walk up one of the, one of the hills. And I had a girl next to me that was also walking and she's holding her stomach and I don't know what's going on in her body. I don't know the severeness of what was happening, but her, you know, she had some nausea, her stomach kind of hurt. And she was just head down, looking at the ground, crying, super upset. And I remember thinking you're missing your day. Like you're missing your race over a stomachache. And again, I don't know how bad it was for her, but I just tried to kind of get her to do what I had been doing, which was helping me. And that's the only reason I had offered it was just like, I was thanking all the volunteers and I was clapping back to everyone who was out there cheering. And that interaction of positivity fed back to me. You know, it wasn't just about thanking them, which I was very sincere and wanting to do. They were, they were getting me through but just in acknowledging and being with them. And like, you know, when you acknowledge them, like they have something to cheer for. If you've been a, a, a spectator at any of races, you're just waiting for something that isn't just, you know, no number 422, you know, like just anyone that interacts is, is even better. And it made my day better and it made it a positive experience and was trying to kind of pull her into that. But we can all make the choice, I think, of making the day better or making the day worse. Um, it's not always easy but trying to do things to pull ourselves into a better state. You don't want to miss your race. And you certainly don't want to miss your race over just stuff that's going to happen. It's not going to be perfect. There's no way. You're going to have problems. You're going to have things you're going to have to overcome. Problem solving is kind of one of the major things involved in any 
long race, whether it's trail running or triathlon or, you know, open water swimming, Gosh, it doesn't life, matter. Life is just a series of problems you're solving. You are going to have problems. And it doesn't seem to worry you. You seem to, you know, I, I say with a lot of us, it's um, we're, we're worried about something going wrong on something right. we planned for right. or something we looked forward to. But but you, you don't seem to view it that way. It doesn't mean that I don't try to control the controllables, right? Because there's no point in having something go wrong that you could have avoided easily, right? And I think having things go wrong that I couldn't even imagine kind of kind of lends to that. The last thing I want is for the things to go wrong that I could have dealt with ahead of time. And so I try very hard to do the the control the controllables, you know, to to kind of have things planned out and having options there and to to whatever best degree I can. You know, you'll be I'll be, you know, I still not only do I get my bike checked, but I bring up the, you know, frayed cable that snapped that even though I had brought the bike in for service, they decided that they didn't need to pull the cable out and see really how it was doing, you know, within the bike. And that killed me. So I, you know, make a point and possibly bring a six pack to my mechanic and be like, I need you to do all the things. Right. Um, you learn, you know, you learn from your previous mistakes. So I don't think, but, but I also understand that, that worrying about things that you can't control just waste energy and waste time. Like, Worrying about how the weather is going to be. Do I weather? Do I stalk the weather? Yes. Am I going to freak out if it's not the weather that I want? No, because it is what it is. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And I think having your life rocked can help put perspective into what, because you truly don't know what's out there. Guaranteed. You don't know what's out there. But worrying about it isn't going to do anything. And trying to avoid it is probably not going to avoid that thing. You're going to get something. I mean, it's just life. As we age, as we do things, as we put ourselves in the world, it's just life that we're going to be presented with challenges, large and small. So prepare for the ones that you can, and then be ready to adapt to the ones that show up. I don't know. Maybe I should not prepare, and maybe I get some of the easier ones to deal with. I don't know, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because then I'll have both, right? I'll, yeah. have, I'll have something, like I didn't bring an extra tube, and I get a flat, and then also I get run over. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I know you like, like I know you've mentioned it's been a million setbacks, thousands of wins, millions of setbacks. It's probably just felt like uh, an in, more longer than five and a half years. Let's put it that way. It's probably felt like decades. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime in yeah, its own way. A lifetime in its own, and it probably has been a new lifetime in a lot of ways, uh, more than just a chapter. Tell us about like the an update. Like, how is it going now, and how have you managed, and how is life? changed in in the ways you've accepted it i'm sure there's just so much to unpack there well yeah and it's like just so to catch everybody up you know when when i was diagnosed like i said they called it guillain syndrome which is a single time event in in most people there are lots of different variations of that but um most commonly the immune system goes cuckoo for reasons that no one really understands but then it doesn't retain the memory of the um, insulation on the nervous system or the nervous system as as enemy. So it doesn't, after its initial set um, of attacks, it goes back to remembering that these nerves are part of the system and it doesn't keep attacking them. So it can do, don't get me wrong, it can do ridiculous and phenomenal damage. There are people that end up on ventilators that can only blink their eyes maybe, and that's the only muscular that they have to do um, or neuro 
um, connections that they have to work with. And then you have to recover from that. So I'm not saying that it's no big deal, but it is um, acute. It is in a, a small time frame. The recovery from it might be a lifetime, but the attack is acute. So when I would come out to do physical therapy or any of my therapies, right, I roll out of my wheelchair and I'm amongst my colleagues, um, which was super interesting. But I would be over there only for about two weeks at a time. And then my situation would start to tank and I would go back to being paralyzed again. And they would send me back to the hospital. We found a treatment that worked. It's called plasma phoresis. And for me, it was very clear that that was the treatment that worked within three sessions, I can move a toe again, which I hadn't been able to do in a very long time. Um, and so that was awesome. So we would do two weeks of that treatment. They send me back to rehab. That happened multiple times. And once that happens multiple times, it's clear that this is not a one-time attack thing. This is a chronic thing. And so then my diagnosis was changed to chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, otherwise known as CIDP. And you can kind of think of that as a close cousin to multiple sclerosis. Um, it's ongoing potentially lifelong, progressive demyelinating disease. So that's what I've been dealing with for the last five and a half years and figuring out what treatments work and what don't. So there's this repeated cycle of, of hopefulness and then ah, continue with my in-hospital treatments that I get every week to two weeks, depending on how I'm doing. Um, that's been challenging, but that idea that keeps coming back again and again is the, this is what I'm doing now right? And also, this is where I'm starting from. This is where it is. And I know I can rebuild because I've rebuilt myself before. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get exhausting <laughs> to try. But, and sometimes I have to kind of get the friends around me that have been amazing to help, like, no, you can do this. It's cool. But the community aspect, aspect of athletics is the other part that keeps me excited to keep going forward. Because I see my friends at CrossFit. I see my friends when we go running together. I love the people that I get to bike with and I don't want to miss those things. So that's a motivator to keeping myself, you know, recovering again and again and putting big goals out there um, because I need that. Some people don't. I need a training schedule. I like a training schedule. I like a structure. And I find it very helpful to stay on task and to not make excuses. I'm just like everybody else. Um, so it's been rough. It's been a lot of ups and downs. It's been a lot of things that were symptoms that didn't exist in the first year and a half. Now I have things, the, the stuff that got me out of being able to work consistently were things like migraines and what we call vestibular migraines, which is the world is spinning, dizzy, nauseous, can't even get out of bed for unfortunately days to weeks at a time. And that stuff can be really rough. Um, so it's hard. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And there are certainly people that are dealing with a lot harder. Um, and it gets better if I'm stronger. I can deal with more of these things. Doesn't help a headache, obviously, but it can help you know, um, ups and downs don't put me in a wheelchair. The down part doesn't put me in a wheelchair if I'm super strong to begin with. I don't know this answer and I can cut it if it's not comfortable to answer, but I've talked to some people uh, on podcasts before that I've had th this situation, something that comes out of nowhere that changes oh. everything, whether it's falling off a mountain or... Right. Uh, just uh, s uh, some sort of diagnosis that rears its ugly head one random day. And I've been blown away by some of their answers where a lot of them get to the point, maybe not by the time we've talked, but at some point, it's not that they've even thrived through 
getting through this, but they're glad it happened. It, glad it disrupted their life in this way. Where do you think that that's is that how you feel, or do you think that's how you feel one day? What do you think about that perspective of these kinds of things? Glad it's happened is a hard one. I don't. <laughs> that's what I thought. I will ever be like, yes, I'm so glad. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn things you didn't know, and that doesn't mean that you can't have a life from that point forward that you don't love, appreciate, and are thankful for. And that, and I think that's a matter of choices that you make. It's a matter of viewpoint, the, um, just, you choose, you choose your attitude. You choose your attitude, you choose your effort. It is literally the two things in this life we have control of. And if there's, I, I didn't fully understand that in all of its meanings. I would have shook my head and been like, yeah, before, you know, going through this. But now I really get it. I really get it. My attitude and my effort are the only things that I have control of. Everything else can change in a moment's notice. And chronic, anyone with chronic disease really understands that everything can change. One day to another is, is, can be a lifetime of different symptoms, problems, things, whatever. But on the bad day and on the good day, you choose your attitude and you choose your effort towards things. Um, and so that's a big deal. So it's like, I've learned a million things and I do want to try to reach out to other people that struggle with these things. Um, it means a lot to me to step forward and say, I'm a person with this disease and I'm out here to, you know, built myself back up to running to this, to that. Cause there's people that give up or they don't think it's possible or they don't know what's possible. And so those things are super important. I wouldn't necessarily have chosen myself <laughs> to, to, to come into this space the way that I did. But um, it means a lot to me to learn as I go and to, you know, a, a, an experience is only, you're only better on the other side of it if you choose to learn the lessons. If you look at it critically and say, what can I learn from this and how can I apply it later? Otherwise, it's just a crappy thing that happened. You know, I'm not one that things think things are fated for a reason to like that came just to teach me this thing. I think you choose to teach yourself the thing. I think you choose to look at it and say, what can I learn from this? Um, and so, I'm glad that I, that I continue to try to do that. And I have people around me that support that and remind me to do that um, so that we move forward from here, because I do think it's possible to be just as happy. And I do think it's possible to still go after big goals and do hard things. Um, the toughest one is work. The toughest one is feeling like I don't think at the same level that I did before and wasn't, isn't asked of me every day in the same capacity. And my striving to find different treatments in many ways is most about um, trying to get rid of the dizziness, nausea, headaches, things, um, and fatigue that can get in the way of a regular job. Like I'm not someone that can, like, I can't even just teach science, which I think I would be brilliant at and I would enjoy um, like at a high school level or whatever, because you can't just, you know, one morning wake up and you can't get out of bed and be like, sorry, you know, Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you have to be, you know, you have to be trusted. And so that's hard. That's hard. And I think that's probably the biggest things getting in the way of me feeling like, you know, maybe this is, I don't know, even better on this side. I don't know. But um, it doesn't mean there aren't positives. There are. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, Lynn, you have shared just so many uh, principles and lessons and just things. I know that um, with Barcelona, 
it didn't go the way you wanted, but you 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 talked about how how it happened was a catalyst for others to try something that you heard yeah. from so many other people who said, I, I'm so proud of you for giving it a shot. I decided to give something a shot. And so that's, that's almost a, your story within a story of how um, inspiring it's been to so many people. Thank you. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the amazing thing sometimes about failure is that it can be as inspirational <laughs> as, you know, you cross the finish line and it was the dream realized and, you know, onward goes the world. And I've had both sides. I've, I've had the um, tremendous luck and joy of, of experiencing kind of both types of finish lines. But um, yeah, Barcelona, you know, it was the, of the things that I can't really um, control are when and where and if I'm gonna have the disease flare up on me. And despite a million times of being out on, you know, I've done, I've done a number of, you know, a hundred mile plus training rides and, you know, done them in very respectable now times and whatnot. I wasn't anywhere close to running into time limits. Um, the, you know, I got, I got seasick in the water and any kind of disruption to my immune system can bring on a, uh, a problem of being attacked more by everything, you know, the, yeah. with the immune system ramps up, all of my immune system ramps up and some of it doesn't like me very much. Um, and so by the time I got to the bike, I was finding that I was like numb from the waist down and couldn't put push hard effort, which is not a good thing when you're headed straight into a nasty headwind. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't make the, um, the time cut, um, and I was devastated. Of course I was, you know, I had, I'd come all this way and I was lucky enough to have a huge number of friends and family who come all that way as well. And there's just no worse feeling. I've now done them to them twice where we went to Canada. Nope. We went to Barcelona, kind of, but no. Um, but then to have people reach out and say, okay, wait, that's, that's, that felt more familiar, I think, of having a problem and trying your best, but it doesn't get there, but okay, well, we're just going to keep trying. Sometimes that feels more familiar than the, and I, you know, conquered all things and I succeeded. It shouldn't, but I think sometimes that feels further away. And it's like, well, that's just because you're a crazy person. You know, that's just because you are, you know, whatever. But when you fail, it's like, no, I'm human. I'm human like everybody else. Yeah. And I think that, I wasn't thinking about that in the moment of feeling, you know, devastated that I wasn't continuing on my race. But when I got more people reaching out to me on social with those types of comments, I found that very helpful. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book that I've been trying to write for five years now is particularly since it's chronic illness and particularly since it isn't a, I recovered and then ran off into the sunset. Everything is fine now. You know, there are these huge swings and drugs that yeah. were working don't work and all of these things that mean that it's not just you get to a, a singular point of recover and it's over. It keeps going. Right. I think people can relate to that. There's so Absolutely. many people chronic illness. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That just show the ups and the downs and to wherever it's making it hard for me to figure out where to draw the end. But um, I, I think it's relatable to a lot of people and it feels more human. Um, I hope. So I'm, I'm thrilled if, if my, if my failure could <laughs> get somebody else to say, Hey, I'm going to give this a try. I think that's the very best thing ever. Yeah. You're not guaranteed the finish line. No one is literally nobody is. Some people have a higher probability that that's going to be their end, end point, but nobody's guaranteed. You just got to go for it. 
Well, I tell you what, in our last few minutes, I got a handful of rapid fire questions I want to ask you. Um, doesn't have to be one word, but I will say a sentence or two. And uh, rapid fire number one, what are you most curious about right now? I'm going to say outside of what we've been talking about. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm always curious about science in the world. I am most curious about how this insane global pandemic um, and the aftermath with long COVID is going to hopefully, and I am hopeful, lead to more treatments, more options, not just for individuals with long COVID, but for individuals with a number of chronic illnesses that are rare and have been left in the weeds up to this point. That's quite the curiosity. Also, uh, not a single word. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I know you don't have to do a single word. Uh, biggest goal not yet achieved. Not yet achieved. Finishing my book is probably the biggest goal right now. Not yet achieved. The next one will be, you know, being able to put myself in a place to have steady employment on the other side of this life. All the other ones. So athletic ones, whatever, they come up, we keep trying. I can't, I'm proud of myself that at least within the realm of things that are most interesting to me at the moment, there isn't anything that I haven't tried. I'm sure there are many things out there that I don't know that I want to try, but we'll give those a go to. Favorite or, or favorite or most important daily habit that you stick to? Oh my gosh. When I stick to sleep routine, I am best off for everything else. I wish I could say that I am always on it, but I know I need to be. And whenever I am best on it, my life is better. So sleep routine for sure. That's one of my aspirations as well. Not there yet. Not, Not there course. yet, but aware. Aware. <laughs> aware. Of yeah, very aware. What's a hobby you have that folks might not know about? Oh, I read. Oh, I would be, I would be lost without books. I would be absolutely lost without books, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, great stories, great authors. Um, yeah, that's, that's gets me through often of days that, you know, aren't what they used to be. Um, in terms of, you know, the middle of the day, the non-exercise portions of the day reading is, is huge. Favorite athletic brewing beer. I knew this was coming. <laughs> so I love first ride Porter. The coffee Porter is fabulous. I'm a multi brown stouts Porter's girl, as well as the other, other side of the sours and the goses. Um, but I have to say first ride is, is delicious. That is also my dad's favorite. Yeah, oh, very nice. My favorite too. I love it. Um, all right, so in, on each can of beer that we yep. have at Athletic Brewing, it says brew without compromise. But we believe yes. if we're going to succeed as a company and succeed as a community, we don't just do one thing without compromise. We have to; It has to be our lifestyle. And, you know, the folks on the show live without compromise, no doubt. And you are absolutely top of that crop. You know, what, what does it mean to you to live without compromise? You modify it. If you're not able to do the thing, whatever the thing is, whatever it is that you want to do at the same level that you were used to or in the same way that you were used to, you figure out how to modify it until it fits with wherever your strength is, wherever your whatever is. To give an example of that, um, you know, one of my biggest lessons was coming out of that Madison um, Ironman where I broke 
so broken, dislocated that fourth, fifth metatarsal. And so I had a cast up to my, up to my knee and I wanted to keep, like, I was going to lose my mind if I wasn't keeping moving. I knew that about myself. Um, and so I focused on like the lifting that I'd already been doing and had been part of my life for a couple of years with CrossFit. And so it happened to be that I found some people on Insta that were CrossFitters and had had like Achilles tendon injuries and were posting the way that they modified their workout to do it on one leg. And so I used those examples and figured out how to, you know, kneel with one with the bad leg on a bench and stand with the other and set up my whole system to be able to do those workouts every day. And I would just, it helped me and it helped our coaches. I'd go to them and they would figure out ways that we can modify whatever I hadn't figured out for myself on how to make changes. And that whole experience set me up for, you know, coming back after paralysis and showing up the first day at CrossFit and only being able to lift, you know, like a one pound PVC pipe and starting all over from there. I knew that could, we could modify, we can modify anything. And if you watch, like I mentioned before, if you watch the Paralympics, you can modify anything. And so living without compromise is saying, this isn't good enough. Like not doing it isn't an option, whatever the thing is, like the excuses are baloney. You can figure it out. And that that's been enormous um, to be able to keep literally keep moving. Be on the lookout for more stories from Lynn in the future as we get ready for our Ironman in Lake Placid next summer. And if you're in the area, come join us. And if you want to try any of the offerings over at athleticbrewing.com, we have a variety of non-alcoholic craft beer. Go to athleticbrewing.com. You can get it right there on the website or use our map and find us on store shelves near you. And be on the lookout for our next episode. It's going to be a good one. Thank you.